Yo, what up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt. Live from the Sweet Bee Studios. I am your host, Quentin. I'm about to call my boy Kyle up right now from Cubs Live. Kyle Miles on. This guy's taking over the world with Cubs baseball, dude. Really all things baseball, man. Oh, they got to remember this guy's phone number right now. This is how we do it at the show. Big time stuff, you know. We don't have any, we don't have any back office producers, buddy. It's just me. This is what we do. No back office producers. It's just Quentin. I'm the producer director of this show. Producer director. That's what it is, man. I'm like Spike Lee at Baseball Podcast. I do it all. I cast, I produce, I direct. This is what's up. This is how it's done. This is how it's done right here. What's up, man? Yo, what's going on, dude? How you been? Yo, I've been good, man. How about you? Dude, I'm great, man. It's good to talk to you, dude. I'm pumped. Great, dude. I'm super jacked. Dude, there's so super much. Jacked. Dude, there's so much that's been going on in baseball, man. A ton. So much, dude. But before we so start, much. man, before we start, yeah. I got to say I'm sorry for the Packers loss. I know you're a big Packers yeah. guy, and I assume you being a Cubs fan and having them lose all these years of your life sort of like tunes you up for a Packers loss, and you're probably callous and hardened about things like this, I right? I know. <laughs> I know, dude. I, w- I was just a little pissed off because um, there's a good chance that I would have went down to Miami for the Super Bowl dude, no uh, through my news station. So Get it was like, fuck, you know, it was so close. Dude. Um, but hopefully, hopefully sometime we'll get there. Dude, that hurts. Man, well, Aaron Rodgers is basically like, objectively speaking, the best quarterback in all of football. And I assume it's probably just the team that's surrounding him. Apparently they had like yeah. a good run game this year, but I guess like their defense just couldn't hold up to the 49ers. And I don't know, man. It was just a weird game. Yeah, that was basically it, man. The defense just yeah. blew it. And I assume Rodgers was trying to force some plays because he went 31 for 39 and threw for over 300 yards, but, like, he had two interceptions. And I'm like, well, either he was trying to force something to make something happen or his receivers, the routes just weren't matching up. Who the heck knows, man? Yeah, I know. It was was an ass-beating. Dude, you want to know the what else, man? This is probably going to be the last podcast I record until I have a kid crazy that is crazy that's life changing dude it is like they didn't like nobody ran a background check on me no one said am i fit to have a kid (laughs) like this is what's happening dude you're going from cute q uh q dog to q daddy absolutely (laughs) that's that is so scary man i'm excited for it though man i'm super pumped to have a daughter yeah i tried to tell my wife i was gonna hang like a bo jackson poster in a room and she's like you can't do that but like i'm gonna sort of figure that out (laughs) somewhere along the way man (laughs) i love it i love it dude so tell me what you got going okay so kyle miles on the line uh cubs live you can find him on twitter at cubs underscore live dude tweeting all things cubs and like I feel like a little bit either from your personal account or from the Cubs live account, you've maybe dabbled in a little bit of like non Cubs stuff, which I think is pretty cool as well. Um, I think right. You've yeah, had, you've had a few like yeah, man, I, like far in between. I think I don't know, but like I know, like I've seen you post a little bit about like Barry Bonds, and then did you talk anything about the Jose Altuve Houston Astro stuff? Any? Uh, I did a little bit. Uh, yeah. I have some thoughts on it, and uh, I just wanted to make sure everything that came out before I kind of put my thoughts out there. You know, like yeah. uh, there was a lot of reports, some we probably don't know, but um, it is what it is at this point. 
dude, the wire thing. Ha so I imagine you've seen the Jose Altuve wire video probably just as many times as all of us trying to figure yeah. it out. What's your take on that, man? Like, do you think he's got a wire in there? Do you think he just didn't want to rip it? Like, what do you personally think about that? I don't know. Like, I feel like MLB knew that there was something going on. And, like, for sure – for sure, I, teams knew that the Astros were doing something, and they knew yeah. about it, and MLB will do anything, you know, to keep that under the rug so the mm -hmm. media doesn't get a hold of it. And because if the media got a hold of it, then you have to, you have to, like, kind of, you have to, like, dive in and investigate then. The media got a hold of it because Mike Fires came out and said something, so... Uh, it was just, man, it's just terrible for the game. Whether Jose Altuve and Bregman did have a wire on them, uh, then honestly, that's worse than steroids in my opinion. Yeah. And I think because you're literally not, not only are you cheating, but you're knowing what's coming next mm -hmm. to the plate. So at that point, you're pretty much you're faulting your own self in your career because it's not like that these guys don't, don't have talent right they have all the talent in the world and if they kind of were if they did this right it's not like they wouldn't win the world series it's the fact that they didn't do it right yeah do you is it on MLB to vacate now obviously like the punishment's been laid out and Major League Baseball said today that they have no plans to vacate the 2017 World Series by right. the Astros or 28 and you mentioned about like how you know Major League Baseball was probably trying to hide this and I think you're probably right because I think baseball's in sort of this weird spot where they're trying to better themselves they know they're sort of on the back burner from like the NBA and the NFL. And I imagine they were sitting back going, gosh, well, surely a player's not going to narc their own team out because they just won a World Series out of it. Um, and that obviously didn't happen. But do you think, would Major League Baseball have done better or worse by the league to vacate the World Series titles? Uh, you know what? I don't, I don't really have a strong opinion on it, on yeah. that. I think honestly, like I think it will be forever tainted that World Series win because yeah. you have that asterisk right next to it because one you cheated and two you did a pretty bad thing for the game to get that. Uh, what I think is the punishment was fair for them. I just it was very shocking that we didn't see individual players suspensions. I thought that would have came out of it. Now I did some research in that 2017 playoffs. And Altuve at home, he had a 472 batting average. <laughs> On the road, 143. Then you look at Carlos Correa at home, he had a 371. On the road, 211. And Brian McCann, 300 batting average at home. And on the road, a .037. That's so crazy. It's just weird, man. It's just weird. They uh, they kind of got what was coming for them. Yeah, dude. And Major League Baseball and baseball fans do a pretty good job of policing the game themselves. You know, we've heard everything about, like, Barry Bonds' record is what it is. And, right. you know, so on and so forth. And people take it as what it is. And you've got folks that are, like, for Barry Bonds and against Barry Bonds. And I assume that the Astros World Series is going to be the same. And like you said, I don't think I have a strong opinion on it either because whether they vacate it or not, I'm going to think what I want to think of it. And then Astros right. fans are going to think, you know, what they want to think of it. 
Um, a couple days. It's like last week, though, man. Jessica Mendoza. Did you see? Did you hear her comments on Mike Fires? Okay, so it was basically. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is if we're on the same page here? Is that Jessica Mendoza kind of downgraded Mike Fires for not keeping it in house? Yeah. Right. Is that kind of what she said? It, yeah, basically. Which is which is totally wrong. What's Mike Fires supposed to do when he's on the Oakland Athletics? Is he supposed to just not tell his teammates what's going on? Like, is he just supposed to keep it under the rug? It's just such a tough situation, and he shouldn't be downgraded. He should be applauded. Like, yeah, he came out. He had the balls. He was at that point of his career where he could do such a thing. You know, he, he has the money. He has an established kind of name in the league where he can go out and say something to get these guys, obviously, uh, Obviously, when you're on that team, you're kind of a cult. And if, if you won a World Series, you'll forever be indebted to that team. And, and now it's broken up, obviously, because of these reports. But, uh, man, I, I I think Mike Fire should be applauded. Now, would my opinion change if I was a fan of the Astros? Uh, probably. But a fan of Major League Baseball, I think what Mike Fires did is right. And there's been reports before of the Astros doing such thing. And there's been reports of other teams. But for a player in that organization at that time to come out and say that and then have video surveillance to back it up and the whole investigation came out that what he said was true and what everybody speculated, man, it, it takes a lot of balls for somebody like that to do that. It does because he could blackball his whole entire career. Like, granted, Jose Canseco's yeah. crazy and he thinks aliens and Bigfoot is out there and all that sort of stuff. But when you sort of like open up that game to like the vulnerabilities and the nuances of like cheating and gaining edges and stuff like that, like you let the public into the clubhouse, which is a really private thing for players. And that in itself is Mike Fires going out on a limb. Like, I imagine Mike Fires didn't want to be the guy to say this. Mike Fires does not want to be put in this position when he goes to ballparks this year. He's just as likely to get cheered, but then the second he goes, you know, see someone that's an Astros fan, they're going to be, you know, flipping him the bird, and none of that's going to be a good thing. And even him signing contracts in the future, you know, teams could be a little weary of this thing, honestly. But I just begin to wonder, like, like what you said earlier, like Major League Baseball knew so much about – like steroids in baseball for years, right? And nothing really got done until the Balco investigation and the government had to step in and all these big things. And it's sort of like that with sign stealing in Major League Baseball where it's like, you know, there were rumors of it happening. I mean, Trevor Bauer had heard from multiple sources like a year or two ago that folks in the Astros clubhouse might have been wearing buzzers, but no work actually gets done on it until Mike Fires actually says something. So when you talk about, like, people should be thankful for it, I think you're right about that because action, historically, Major League Baseball doesn't act on anything until they're forced to, you know? Yep. And, and you know what? You know what something You know what something else rubbed me the wrong way in this whole whole Astros stealing sign thing? Okay, they do it. They get caught. They get their punishment. The organization does the coach and the owner. The owner hands down the punishment for the coach and the general manager. 
And the Astros just had their fan fest this past weekend. And you have Bregman and Altuve kind of facing the public for the first time since the suspension or not the suspension, but like the punishments came out. And these mm-hmm. two guys are the Bregman, especially is the dude who's always has something to say. And not that he, he's, he kind of comes off as sometimes cocky oh, yeah. or he just always has a word of mouth. He has something to say. And now he gets caught and, he didn't have nothing to say. He no, uh, he said every question that came at him, he answered with MLB's investigation came out, and this is what the Astros did, and this is what they handed it up. Not one apology, not one owning up to the fact, not one taking accountability, but rather it was MLB said this, they investigated this, this is the punishment, and that's what happened. Very PR, like, it's a very PR, like, response. I get it. But for you to be at a fan fest, and these aren't accusations anymore, because this is this is real life. This is what happened. Yeah. This is what got done. You you can't say sorry to the fans. You can't say, "Hey, look, I know you're you've been a fan for so many years. You you when we were the when we were the Astros in the NL, you saw us lose a hundred games, and now all of a sudden, in five six years from then, we're on top of baseball. We're a dynasty, but now it's tainted." And what do you think the fans feel? You can't say sorry to them. That rubbed me the wrong way. And that that's a huge part of this ordeal that I just don't understand is how a dude can be so cocky after game six, game seven of the World Series like Bregman or always have something to say, but when he gets kind of put in his place, he can't have any accountability. Dude, that's a good point because, like, and he's not even the only guy on that team that's super outspoken about things. Like, Justin Verlander, held Verlander's been outspoken yeah. about sign stealing in the past, you know, and now he's on this team. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking in my head, like, did Verlander know this was going on? Is he going to release a statement? It's just like, I don't get it. And, like, what you said, like, what do the fans think? Like, I've thought to myself, like, what if the 2016 Cubs, dude, when you talk about meaningful baseball, the Cubs, dude, going 108, 108 years, years, dude, we've had – grandparents and great-grandparents pass and not see a World Series title on the north side of Chicago. And I've thought to myself, like, if the Cubs did this in 2016, like, what would I think? And part of me thinks, like, bro, I would be, like, completely betrayed. Like, I don't know. I think it could take me a while to come back to the north side if I felt like these players that I put my trust in just cheated. It made it for nothing at that point. Like, just to know that you could win a World Series and cheat and not do it the right way, it's like, I waited 108 years for this moment, and, like, you guys sort of took it away from me. And it was like that in Houston because it was just after the big hurricane, dude. And I remember during that postseason, there were folks that were recording themselves watching the World Series in their flooded home with a generator hooked up to a TV. Like, there were folks, like, with, like, no wall, sheetrock knocked down, like, barely living. Right. And, like, using this team as, like, a lifeline to, like, feel some sort of, like, normalcy. And I'm like, I don't know what those fans feel like. Like, I've seen some (laughs) folks on Twitter that are, like, sticking up for their team. And I'm like, good, because I might have done that. You know, like, if this happened to the Cubs, I would probably tell you to stick it and everybody does it. You know what I mean? But it, if I knew that my players that I loved, like Rizzo and Brian and Javi, came out and had, like, admitted guilt, like, I understand that, dude. I can have yep. empathy for that because I'm a human being, and I do a lot yeah. of dumb stuff, man. And I'm about to be a parent, dude, and I'm going to do a lot more dumber stuff. So I understand the humanity. Like, for example, when Barry Bonds in 1998 
Barry Bonds, even though Maguire and Sosa were on steroids, Barry Bonds was still arguably the best player in the league, and he was all natural. But I can feel the human pull from Barry Bonds coming into the 99 season going, I need to take steroids to keep up because I'm better than those guys. And granted, Barry Bonds is cocky. He's a dickhead. I understand that because I probably would have done that. If I knew the whole league was doing it and this was an accepted practice, like, give it to me. And if I thought, like, Altuve and Bregman and Correa and Springer were, like, apologetic and would just, like, sort of admit to me what you did, I could probably understand that because I don't know how many teams are stealing signs electronically, but I know every team has a video room. And even though they might not be banging trash cans, you know, Christian Yelich may have a relief pitcher out in the field relaying him stuff, and nobody knows about it. I don't know. You know what I mean? So part of me could almost understand that if the dialogue, the situation will never get better if there's not dialogue. So like what you said, Bregman sort of wasn't answering anything. So if there's not dialogue, we can't do anything constructive, and this problem is never going to get better. Exactly, and it it just comes down to accountability. Yeah, uh, these aren't accusations anymore. No. This is a proven thing, and it came out. You guys got the maybe the players didn't get suspended because they had to deal if they were honest and transparent yep. with uh, everything through the process and the investigation. Then the players want to get suspended. Uh, well, you're not suspended, but the least you can do is own up to your actions, move on from it, say you're sorry, and try to do better in the future. Yeah, I agree with that. Hey, let me ask you a question, though. While we're on the topic, because we're going to get into some Cubs stuff, too, because you are the Cubs Nostradamus, you understand? Do you (laughs) think – this is on topic but off topic. Do you think Sammy Sosa Sosa should have to apologize to be accepted by the Cubs front office again? No, and and the reason here is the Cubs profited off of Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa was a guy – who brought baseball back to Wrigley Field. And not only Wrigley Field, but he bought, brought baseball back in general. You had fans lining up from 6 a.m. for a 1 o'clock game on the street trying to catch his 60-second home run ball. Like, that is so special. Uh, and for ownership to not kind of welcome back Sammy Sosa because of the wrongdoings he did, and not, saying, and not condoning anything he did, like walking out on his team was a bad thing. But when you exploit Sammy Sosa like the Cubs did and you profited off of Sammy Sosa's well-being and he brought life back to the organization for ownership that was not around during that time, during the 1998 home run season, during the 2003 playoffs, an ownership group that had nothing to do with the Chicago Cubs at that time to say, hey, look. Sammy has to come out and lay it all on the line and say sorry to a few more people before we welcome him back. Man, I just think it's wrong. I just And that's speaking from a general fan perspective, and now everybody's entitled to their opinions and on any topic, and especially this one. Uh, but I just think that's just plain wrong, and the Cubs and baseball will forever be indebted from that 98 home run season where – one, steroids and whatever whatever was going on was not a it wasn't allowed, but it was accepted. Right, hundred percent. It was a it was a time in baseball where it was accepted, and now looking back, you don't want to accept these players because at the time they were just adapting. So it's just it's just difficult for me to see that because one, Sammy Sosa was an ambassador for the Chicago Cubs, like 
they're acting like this dude didn't just hit 600 home runs in his yeah. career, and most of them coming in a Cubs uniform. So uh, it's just it's very in- interesting for me that they are still to this day in going into the new decade in 2020 are still reluctant to bring back Sammy Sosa to the Chicago Cubs in any event. Yeah, and but listen to this though, man. I if I had to bet my life on let's say if I was betting you that Sammy Sosa took steroids, if I lose I die and if I win I get a million dollars, I don't think I would make that bet because the one one, right? I I've spent a lot of time in a gym, right? And when I started lifting weights in the gym, I weighed 140 pounds. I hit 200 within like two years and took absolutely nothing illegal. And that's a fact, right? right? The only proof we have that Sammy Sosa took steroids is, one, he was in a home run chase with a guy that admitted to taking steroids. And two, he showed up on that leaked list with 103 players on it, right? The same list that David Ortiz is on, right? But (laughs) We're fine with David Ortiz, right? So it's almost like if you took steroids or were suspected of took steroids, we don't hate you unless you break our records, right? Because on that same list that David Ortiz was on is what Sammy Sosa was on, which is what implicated Sammy Sosa. And now we all say, hey, you took steroids. Also on that list are guys that we know that took steroids like Bartolo Colon, Alex Rodriguez, Rafael Palmeiro. But like Pedro Martinez was on that exact same list, right? Yeah. No one. Roger Clemens was on the list. Like we know that as well. But like, what's interesting about the list of 103 is like, there's a lot of proof that you can look a ton of those players and be like, well, the list is at least sort of accurate because there are a lot of guys on there that we know did. But then names you don't talk about, like Derek Lee was on the list, right? Um, but like with the Pedro Martinez in the um, the David Ortiz thing, I'm sort of like, man, you guys are really just don't like Sammy Sosa. Because I guess like he broke a record. I mean, I guess that's it. And I don't that's, know. I don't that's know. how I look at it too, man. I, I love your points there, and it's so accurate because it's so true. Like this wasn't a. Pr- it's not like it's a proven thing. It's you know, like it's not, not like it's a proven thing. He, he used a cork bat. We know that. Sure. That's not. We're not saying that, but we're saying he never used perform. There's no for sure thing that he used performing hand enhancing drugs in. Uh it's it's not like it's it's tough that you're kind of disregarding him for that fact. Because the the size that he gained in his career, the muscularity, you could do without steroids. Right? It's not like right. he, he looked like this like Mark McGuire had like twenty two inch arms and was as big as an oak tree. So like I get that when you look at him and you're like, bro, his forearms are as big as my thigh. Like I get that. But when you look at pictures from 98 and Sosa and McGuire are standing together, it looks like Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger from Twins. It's like one of those guys is still a lot bigger than the other, man, right? And this sort of gets me back to, like, so to circle this whole thing around, like, I want to talk about the Cubs, and, like, I sort of want to talk about Cubs ownership, right? So, like, in this offseason, you have, like, you have the Chicago Cubs and you also have the Boston Red Sox, right? Two teams with a high payroll. Two teams that are in a championship window, but you have two teams that are on like a spending freeze. They want to possibly trade away their big names. You know, I want to get rid of Mookie Betts. I want to get rid of Chris Bryant. Like, and it's, it makes me a little nervous for both of those teams because it's almost like their ownership is treating 
their team like a business, right? Like when George Steinbrenner ran the Yankees, he's like, whatever it takes, bro. I'll spend all the money in the world. All I want to do is win, and it was very clear. But with what the Cubs are doing in the offseason, I'm a little nervous about it because I don't feel that they are doing everything they can to win, right? I know they've got money tied up in the marquee network. I know they've got a high payroll right now. But give me any take you have, opinions on what the Cubs are doing this offseason. Yeah, man, you mentioned it. Like, it's a business. Uh, That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. You know, Theo and Jed, they're kind of money tied right now. They don't want to go into that luxury tax and go into that threshold for consecutive years. And it's more and more looking like as the months pass that 2020 is going to be kind of a stand pat year. Because, one, they don't want to have future penalties. And two, they don't want to also put some eggs in their basket and then have it come back to bite them in the butt. Just kind of, if you look at their past free agent signings, uh, some of them haven't worked out. You have like 50 or 60 million tied up to three guys, them being Tyler Chatwood, you got Jason Hayward, and you got Craig Kimbrell. Hopefully Craig Kimball can be God, the guy that so. he wants in Atlanta. Man, the Cubs could need that in their bullpen. That, that's a question mark. You have Jason Hayward. We know what he is. He's a, he's a great leader in the clubhouse. He's good defensively. He can stick a little bit more. He's better than he was in 2016, so that's a plus. Still kind of, I would say, average at this point. Tyler Chatwood, fifth starter at most, maybe a good guy in the bullpen. Uh, but, man, when you look at this roster, there's a lot of holes and a lot of money that they've already committed to. Uh, so when you look at this ownership, not, and I, and I don't want to say it's Theo and Jed, it's not, if Theo and Jed had the money, they would go out and fulfill those holes. I want to make sure that people know that one, it's Theo and Jed working under the ownership's kind of financial standards right now. And they, they're kind of, the reason why trades are getting brought up at this point is because one, it would be a terrible thing if you're not going to resign Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Kyle Schwarber, Anthony Rizzo, Wilson Gutierrez after that 2001-2002 season and let them walk with nothing more than a draft pick. And yeah. kind of Theo and Jack kind of said it before that they're kind of past that window of signing guys to an extension because, one, they're getting more years into their arbitration deals. Two, they are also maximizing their values a little bit. When you look at Javier Baez, the Cubs should have extended him in 2015, man, yeah. for dirt cheap. Uh, so in players nowadays, you're looking at the free agent market. They're getting paid. They're trying to maximize that free agent market. It was rightfully so. They have every right to. But the ownership is trying to get this back down under the luxury tax. I'm not condoning it. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. That's the deal it is, and Cubs fans, 2020 might be kind of a step-back year, and it is what it is at this point. We'll see if – and it's not like the Cubs can't win in 2020. It's not like they can't catch fire because there's still a lot of talent on that roster. There's just kind of some question marks, and hopefully everything can work together. Yeah, there's a ton of talent on the roster, and part of me – Like, in my head, I'm sort of like, man, I think the glass is sort of half full because I do believe that – it's sort of weird right now with, like, who managers are and what they do and who they answer to, right? There are all these stories now about today's Major League Baseball manager. 
like you hear stories about the managers at the New York Mets, like all they do is get their direction from the GMs and ownership and then wheel it down, right? They're sort of like a middleman. But I don't feel like that's always the case with any team. And I sort of feel like with the Cubs that that might not be the case as well. And I really do feel that the manager in a Major League Baseball clubhouse still has value besides just figuring out data and then implementing that data. And so I really like David Ross as a person because love them. Right. There are people out there that are genuinely nice and just have sort of like this caring drive, right? Like I know David Rice is a David Ross is a driven athlete, but he has like that calmness about him, that niceness about him, where like you can trust him really quick. And I do believe that we could see a completely different team in 2020 with the same stuff. Where last year they won like 87 games, I think they can win the division this year. I still do. You know, they're not going to go out and maybe win 100 games. But just like what you said, there's talent on the team. If you've got a healthy Chris Bryant who can clearly repeat a 2016 MVP season, Javi Baez was just second in the MVP a couple years ago. Plus, if Hayward can be average to slightly above average, you've got a good right fielder. And and then Anthony Rizzo, dude, who's essentially the Derek Jeter of the Chicago Cubs, man. So many intangibles. (laughs) And... In this world of data, anytime I record a podcast, I always try to recognize players for their intangibles, right? What's that guy do that doesn't show up on his baseball reference page? Like, I know what his war is, but, like, tell me the rest of the story, right? Because, like, Manny Machado has a really high war, and he's a really good defender, and he's a really good bat. But what I see from him, I'm like, man, I really wouldn't want him on my team because there are little things that I'm like, okay, I don't like that, right? It's not going to gel with me, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. when you have guys that are hard workers that you know you can trust, like Anthony Rizzo, right? Anthony Rizzo, in my mind, is a first ballot Hall of Famer, right? But he's not going to be because he's not – you know, he statistically speaking, he might not go down as a top 10 first baseman all of baseball. I don't know. Historically, I don't know. But I know that what he brings, those intangibles, they're so far beyond what you'll see on the back of any baseball card. That's sort of like how I think of David Ross. And I think the Major League Baseball manager can still provide that, you know? I totally agree 100%. What do you, and, you know, the whole kind of motto has been for the Cubs let's look forward not look back but when you look back at the 2016 team and you look at some guys that maybe like you said didn't have the best baseball reference page like Chris Coglin or Tommy Lastella oh yeah kind Travis of Wood guys. man like holy crap dude like but they were guys that were influential in that clubhouse they gelled with the guys when their name was called they came through they knew their place on the team they didn't put up a fight those guys are the guys you want on your team because they're X factors when it comes down to it. And when you talk about David Ross, I'm excited to see what he brings to the Cubs in the table. He's a gamer. He knows how to win. You know, he just, he, like you said, he knows how to cultivate a culture. And as far as the Cubs roster goes, he's going to mesh well with many of them. I'm excited to see what he brings. I think he's going to bring a lot. It will be a very nice kind of fresh breath of air to get a new voice in that clubhouse and see what he can do. Uh, I I expect there's going to be trial and error, especially with this new rule coming in Major League Baseball with the three batters. Oh, that's right. By yeah. a pitcher. 
Yep. So, uh, one, he's figuring out how to manage a bullpen. He's never done it before. Two, he has to implicate that rule. It might play in a, it might play to his advantage that he's never had to, you know, manage a bullpen before. And this is all he's going to know, but it's still something that's going to be a learning curve. And there's going to be a lot of learning curves in 2020, but I do expect the Cubs and I do think they can compete. Uh, but if I look at the roster right now, given what's happened the past two years, I see like, an 85 win team and which is fine they can get more they can get less but i think that's a good stand right now and who knows that could be a wild card team you just don't know and that's not to say that they don't catch fire and everything clicks well for them because you never know that one piece or that one guy might have that breakout season that carries the cubs like in 2018 javier baez that's what the cubs need in 2020 and who knows who can provide that Dude, did you see that new stat that came out for infielders? I did. It was like out to, but dude, I, I was so excited to see Javi Baez on there because he's never won a gold glove, dude, and he doesn't get like the de- unless you're like a diehard Cubs fan, Javi would never get the defensive recognition because he plays all over. He could play a gold glove third, a gold glove short, a gold glove second. Hell, he could probably play a gold glove first, dude. You know what I'm saying? And when I saw that right. stat, I was like, dude, he's getting his at this point. The world knows, scientifically speaking, he's the best best infield defender in all of baseball. And I was like, yes. Right. I know. So, okay, so here's my question for you. How much do you, do you value gold gloves? Because, okay, here's my thought that I was kind of looking into it yesterday. I looked at baseball reference, and Cal Ripken Jr. had a career defensive war of 35.7. And he just won two gold gloves in 21 seasons. Now, when you look at this beloved shortstop, New York Yankee, newly Hall of Famer, Derek Jeter, he has a career defensive war of negative 8.3. And he won five gold gloves. That's a three. That's that's a three gold glove it's difference. It's crazy. And about a third. That's about a forty plus negative, like positive war difference going to Cal Ripken's Jr.'s favor. So it's just like, how much do you value gold gloves? So like, when people say and come up to me that Javier Baez never won a gold glove, you know, he's not a the best shortstop. That's okay. Like. Cal Ripken Jr. didn't win five, but he was a way better shortstop than Derek Jeter as much as you don't want to admit it. So it's just like, man, I don't know how to value gold gloves nowadays because I feel like it's just more of a popularity contest at this point. It is, dude. It's a popularity contest, and it's a lot of the bat. It's crazy, but you can look at a lot of different gold glove winners, and a lot of times the guy that wins the gold glove has the better bat because he's more popular because he has the better bat, you know what I mean? So technically the award, I don't really care about. And you want to know sometimes defensive metrics, like not defensive war, because if you're looking at a player's defensive war over a 20-year career, like that's generally pretty accurate. Because what I've always heard with like defensive statistics, like you have to have a really long sample for it to become accurate, you know what I mean? And I don't know exactly what Javier Baez is like, her season defensive metrics are like I don't know if they're the best in the league or mid range or whatever. Right. But I don't short term. I, I obviously if I look at defensive statistics across a career, I care about that number. But if Javi Baez isn't yeah. winning Gold Gloves because someone's looking at his per season statistic, I don't care about. I don't care if if I looked at Javi's per season defensive statistics, whatever the like, other numbers, and they sucked because he made a few wild errors. 
I'm cool with that, and I'm cool with Javi not getting a gold glove because I want to know what that player does on the field. Javi Baez is a wild dude who does a lot of crazy stuff on the field. So he could make a few boneheaded errors, and you're like, what the heck? And then when you look at his like specific data for that season, you're like, dude, he sucked because the numbers say he sucked. And I'm like, bro, well, he might get to a baseball that no one else could get to and then throw it over Anthony's head into the dugout. You know what I'm saying? And he's going right. to get an error for that. But most people don't even get to the damn ball to make the error. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So, so who are you taking up the middle, Javier Baez or Darwin Barney? Oh, dude, I would take Javi just because I think I think that Javi Baez is one of the best Major League Baseball players in the league right now. I know he'll never have the highest war. I'm not saying he's better than Mike Trout, but there's something right. about Javi Baez where he's just like a little hustler. Like, he figures things out. He's so unorthodox. Last season, it was like, Javi Baez, his home runs and his hits and his swing percentage on the first pitch were higher than anybody's in Major League Baseball because he's the guy that says, I don't care what I'm supposed to do or what you want me to do. I'm going to do it how I want and how I could get the job done, and I'm going to invent my own way of playing baseball. And so I'll take Javi in that instance because anybody that – invents their own way of playing baseball and does it their way and makes things happen, I'm going to take that person every day, man. And he's like an inventor. I totally agree. He's an inventor on the baseball field. He's like Alexander Graham Bell of the infield because he just like he just makes stuff up on the fly. and Like, it works. It's crazy. I totally agree. The only reason why I brought that up was because Darwin Barney has more gold gloves than Javier Baez. <laughs> okay. Everybody just kind of values gold gloves, but – in baseball, some like I get analytics are the next big thing. The mm-hmm. sabermetrics, every, stack has everything. I love that stuff. I invest my time into that stuff. But sometimes you just need an eye test. Yeah. Sometimes you don't need to look at their accolades to kind of know somebody's talented. And whether Javier Baez wins the Gold Glove, which I think he will, and I think that will be great for him, and I think it will be great for baseball, that will be good. But I test, Javier's just so electric, man. I love him. Dude, I've always been sort of like the eye test with Dave Parker. Like, Dave Parker was on the Veterans Committee for the Hall of Fame. And if you look at Dave Parker just straight up statistically, like, he's not a Hall of Famer. But if you look, like, into who, like, he was as a player, like, he was the first athlete to make a million dollars, and he was African-American, right? He brought – I know he brought African-American fans to the game, and he helped expand the game. He helped a lot of young players like Gary Sheffield and Eric Davis and Barry Larkin. And his influence so far exceeded his war, it was like, listen, I I don't care if he only won one MVP or that he had a few seasons where he got fat, did coke, and got hurt. Like, I'm looking at the whole thing as a whole, and I'm like, boy, I'd like that guy on my team because I know what he is in the clubhouse, man. And, yeah, 100%, dude. Uh, what else? Absolutely. What else do I have on the list? Um, oh, hold on. Where was it? Um, okay, dude. Listen, man. So I was thinking, dude. My favorite car in the world is a DeLorean, right? And I want to buy one. Mm-hmm. They go. You can buy one off eBay for like forty thousand dollars. But to, for me to get forty thousand dollars, I would have to do a slip and fall in Target and sue him. And I'm not that great of an actor. You know what I'm saying, <laughs> man? But let me ask you Love this: it. If you had a DeLorean and you could go to the past and bring one cub back to the future 
and put him on this team. What's and that person doesn't have to be alive or dead. So for example, like you could bring ninety eight Sammy Sosa back, or you could bring Ernie Banks right. back. Right. What's the one Cub player in a one spot of time where like if you could do a Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, you would go get him and bring him here. So I'm gonna say this not for like production wise, but for morale and for me to see this actually happen. I'm bringing back Carlos Zambrano, and I want him every fifth day yes. to throw to Wilson Contreras. Dude, that's a way better pick than I have, dude. That's the that's the greatest pick ever, dude. Because that guy, man, there's what's like, um, dude, is it like when he gets kicked out of the game and he like ejects the umpire and he might throw a baseball yeah. in this? Dude, I watch that like frequently just to like get motivated for my day man like it's the best right? thing ever dude dude i love and like, to have him throw into wilson Contreras. like come on bring it to me bro like inject that into my veins right now dude honestly like that's probably the most fiery pair that you could get like those guys could step off a baseball field and go into a wwe wrestling ring man like those guys are like <laughs> part like the best duo since like jesus and moses man like that okay that would be it man since I can't say Carlos Zambrano. See, my thing was, I actually want to go to Ernie Banks. And I know that's like an easy guess. But my logic was like, bro, if I had Ernie at short and I had Javi Baez at second, that power and that athleticism, I'm like, dude, that would be crazy. I was like, I would have to see that. You know what I mean? Insane. I, I would just have to because like that would be like double play combo, great defense, great offense. Like that's what I would do, man. Um, I love it. I like 100%. the pick. What else do I got here? Um, bum, 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 bum. Okay, so let me ask you this, man. Now, if you had that same DeLorean and you could bring three players back to this day and age to play for the 2020 season, who are the three players you bring back? Okay, first one I'm bringing back, I watch a lot of like MLB interviews. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And the guy that gets talked about a lot is Pedro Martinez. I want to see him pitch nowadays. And not – I was so young that I didn't get to appreciate him, like what he did. But when I look at the back of his baseball card and see that in a seven-year span from 1997 to 2003, he had 118 wins, 36 <laughs> losses, with a 2.2 ERA, 1,700-plus strikeouts three Cy Young Awards, five ERA titles. In that 1999 season, he goes 23-4, and 2.07 ERA and 313 strikeouts. Yeah, man, I want to see him on the mound facing Mike Trout. I want to see him oh. see if he can fool hitters today. So I'll that's my it. first one I want to see. The second one, I want to see if Babe Ruth, and I want to see if he – you know – Everybody thinks of Babe Ruth is like this big home run machine that could hit bombs. And he's pretty and he pretty much made the home run what it is today. But I want to see if he can hit tanks today and if he's one like on another level, like two Mike Trouts put into one, or he's just an average Joe. But also we're in kind of the home run juice baseball era, so I want to see how far he can hit a baseball. If he hits like a six hundred foot home run, like what do you got, man? Okay, that's a good one too, man. Right. Right, and then my third one is Pete Rose. And I'm saying that because, like, I know people might be rubbed the wrong way about, like, Pete Rose and the whole, you know, betting on baseball situation. For me, man, I don't give a shit. I think he 
what he did 24 years in the major leagues and at age 44 he had an on-base percentage of 395 at 44 like dude like I just want to see him hit versus these pitchers and I want to see him go off against like a Justin Verlander or uh, Garrett Cole. Like, I just want to see him back in the game and see him in his prime because, like, looking at his stuff, and I know, like, I can go back and watch highlights, but I just don't think, like, highlights does it justice because it's like every day will will Pete Rose get a hit, you know? So I just wanted – I wish I could see, like, Pedro Martinez, Babe Ruth, and Pete Rose in MLB right now. That dude. So on the Pedro Martinez thing, I'm pretty sure like in one of his seasons he had like a 2.91 ERA plus, which is the best pitching season ever. And to watch him and That's Mike Trout, like what we're looking at, because Mike Trout is what makes Trout so good is he has the ability to adjust, and it doesn't take him a yeah. whole season to do so. So that would make a Mike Trout Pedro Martinez matchup phenomenal. Now for the Pete Rose thing, what's so interesting about Pete Rose is he hit. 160 career home runs out of 4200 out of over 4200 hits 4256 hits only 160 of them were home runs so pete rose made his living on the bases dude sliding getting down getting dirty the charlie hustle nickname wasn't by accident dude you can see like anytime pete rose slid like he was up in the air like three or four feet before he got to the base dude and what would be so interesting to watch pete play because i love that you said pete rose is because we live in this day and age right now where there is no small ball. Folks don't bunt. Folks aren't getting infield singles. They're trying to hit home runs, hit one right. off the wall for extra bases. So, like, you would get Pete Rose in today's game, and he would play unlike anybody else, man, going up against power pitchers that all they want to do strike out. And Pete Rose is a guy that, like, would walk more than he struck out. So you've got a guy that doesn't hit a lot of home runs and doesn't strike out a lot in a game with guys – that all they do is hit home runs and strike out. So that's a yep. really smart pick. Now, now also, I want to ask you, like, do you think that in 2020, we're in a day and age where the shift in Major League Baseball is a prominent thing? Now, could Pete Rose beat the shift? And I oh. think he could. And I, it, would just, it would just be so interesting to see him because, one, there's so much data, stack has everything. Guys have literally – sheets in the back of their pockets and their baseball pants with like sheets on where to stand for what hitter, you know? So it's like, yeah, dude. like could Pete Rose beat that shift? I, I would love to see it. I mean, for a guy that one season had 680 at bats and only struck out 42 times, I've got to believe he's got bat control <laughs> just like what Tony Insane. Gwynn had. So to get Tony Gwynn and Pete Rose in a league where the shift dominates, and you're like, listen, these guys didn't care about hitting home runs, dude. Like, I don't care if chicks right. dig it or not. They're like, I just want to get a hit and get on base. And I, I agree with you, man. I think he could beat it, dude, because guys back then I feel like had so much more back control, dude, um, and could maybe right. put the ball more than where they wanted to. Um, What's your three? Dude, okay, so here's what I picked. So number one. I picked 1930 Josh Gibson. Negro League, they called him the Black Babe Ruth. Some guys said that Josh Gibson was better than Babe Ruth, and they called Babe Ruth the white Josh Gibson. This guy, dude, was a monster catcher, dude. Phenomenal arm, phenomenal power. But the like the enigmatic part about Josh Gibson is he never got a chance to play in Major League Baseball. Jackie Robinson was the guy that Branch Rickey picked, and a lot of that because Jackie Robinson personally was like the the man to choose because he could sort of 
I guess, hold back and he wouldn't lose his mind, right? When you're being called racial slurs from the stands, it's going to take a special person not to go out there and slice someone's neck or something. You know what I mean? And it was well noted at that time that when Jackie Robinson broke the color bear, that he wasn't the best player, that Josh Gibson was the best player. And folks talk about his power just being uncanny. Buck O'Neill from the Ken Burns documentary said on three instances, he heard a particular crack off the bat that sounded like nothing he had never heard. The first time he heard it was Babe Ruth. The third time he heard it was Bo Jackson. And the second time he heard it was Josh Gibson. Insane. Crazy, dude. So that's my guy just because the statistics we have on Josh Gibson are few and far between because in the Negro Leagues, they didn't they didn't keep track with stats. They didn't play as many games. Like, they might only play 60 games a season in their league, right? And I would love to see him, his whole career in Major League Baseball, full stats to see what he could do and have those numbers in front of me. Man, we have the historic numbers of Babe Ruth and Honus Wagner and stuff like that. And, like, I would want to see the full potential of this guy that truly never got a chance. You know what I mean? Um, right. My second guy was obviously, I want 1990 Bo Jackson, because in 1990, Bo Jackson was in his prime, right? Um, dude, yeah. I had his stats a second ago. Hold on, hold on. And obviously, like, the Bo Jackson is probably the most popular what-if story. But right now, like, in a yeah. day and age with, like, power and all that stuff, like, Bo Jackson was the most powerful power dude, man, this Paul Bunyan-esque guy. And it was his 1990 season, you could see the trajectory of his career getting better. In 1990, he raised his batting average by almost 20 points, his on-base percentage by 30 points, and obviously was making better contact with the ball, right? So to see Bo Jackson now, like that's, that's what I want more than anything. Because when Bo Jackson was playing in 1990, I was seven. I don't remember any of that. So the only time I remember right. watching Bo Jackson is when you're watching a YouTube video. And that right. I think and would be huge, yeah. man. That's how I feel about Pedro Martinez, too. Oh, yeah, dude. You just, like, want to see that live. Like, the YouTube videos and the baseball reference pages are great. But, like, dude, I want to live that. Like, if I got three wishes from a genie, one of them would to be able to see Bo Jackson play baseball live. <laughs> I would just be like, I don't need eternal life and I don't need a money tree. Just let me watch Bo Jackson <laughs> right now. Like, I'm flying back for it. Right. I would do it. And then my third pick was 1994 Tony Gwynn. So that was the season of the baseball strike. And yeah. he was he finished the season at 394 over 110 games I think and was basically 6 hits shy of 400. Now what's interesting about that season is in the month of August he was batting 423. In the second half of the season he was batting better than the first half, right? So part of the reason is I would like to see that campaign finished because so many major league baseball players have one or two like elite years where like it just lines up. They're physically mature. They're mentally mature. Their body hasn't betrayed them yet. And they get the best of both worlds, right? Like they're it yep. in their prime of that 1994 season. I feel like was it for Tony. And the fact that he was hitting better as the season went, he wasn't hitting a second half slump. He was hitting a second half stride. I mean, his hitting was so on point he used the same baseball bat all season long. He wasn't breaking Insane. bats. He used the exact same bat all season. And that's what I would take. Because, and it sort of like lines up with your Pete Rose pick, where it's like, one, I would be putting Tony Gwynn in 
a game that he's not used to, but I would also be right. putting a guy that literally could put the ball wherever he wanted. Barry Larkin said when Tony Gwynn would swing the bat, because it was um Brad Osmus one time asked Barry Larkin, he's like, how's Tony Gwynn get the ball by the infield? Because like when I hit a ball like Tony Gwynn, you dive and catch it. But when Tony Gwynn hits the ball, it's out of your reach. And Barry Larkin said because the way Tony Gwynn swung a bat, he could get through the strike zone so quick and would swing from behind him. They said when Tony Gwynn hit a ball, you couldn't get a jump on it because his bat was so quick. And that's sort of what allowed him to just get balls through the infield where you could shift on him or do whatever. And that's what they said about Tony. They were like, we would shift, we would move over on him because that's where he hit it last time. And then he would hit it where I was just standing. You know what I mean? And so that, yep. one, we, we could see the 400 season fulfilled. And then, two, we would be putting a player in a game that nobody else plays like it anymore. I would love for Pete Rose, Tony Gwynn, small ball to come back. You know what I mean? Speed right. and, you know, that sort of stuff, man. I would love it. And I feel like at some point the game could come to it because, like, you got teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, like, changing their strategy, going against the grain with an opener, this and that or the other. And I do believe at some point it'll come full circle and a team will be built around speed and contact. I totally agree. And it's going to be exciting to see what they can do and how they change the game. Dude, I'm pumped for it, man. We've got like three weeks till pitchers and catchers report. Um, I think opening day this season is like March 26th or something like that. And I love yeah. I love that MLB keeps making opening day earlier and earlier because I can't explain the feeling for you to you because I don't have the words for it. But when spring rolls around and you sit down to watch all the opening day games, that's the best feeling in the world. The best feeling, man. I'll be there opening day at Miller Park, Cubs Brewers for the first time in years. That's awesome, man. man. Wrigley North, heck yeah. Who's going to start opening day for the Cubs? Do you know? Maybe you? I don't know, man. I'd think you, Darvish. I'd say you, Darvish. Dude, isn't isn't it crazy? I guess. Dude, do you look at you, Darvish, and Clayton Kershaw a little different, knowing that when they tanked in the 2017 World Series that the Astros knew it was coming? Yeah, I I think, dude, I just I just think it's terrible how much that the Astros organization and you know hitters what they did to not only like players' careers and people's confidence. You Darvish took a whole year and a half to get right because he yeah. had a constant reminder and he had to build that confidence again. He he was asking himself, "Am I skipping my pitches?" And when you question yourself and you get into your head in baseball especially baseball, it's such a mental yeah. game, uh, man. It's just so terrible that they did with, like, the hitters. One, they ruined careers, and two, they left players a lot. Players had to leave a lot of money on the table for because of the Astros cheating. So that's a whole nother story, man. That's, it is, man. Man. But I'll tell you this about you, Darvish. One, there were tons of fans on Twitter apologizing to you, Darvish, because obviously everyone laid into him after 2017. But I think you, Darvish, is such a great person. Like, he's he's not asking for any sympathy. He's not blaming anyone for everything. And even was, like, cracking jokes and just still, like, finding happiness, even though, like, so much was taken from him. And that just sort of goes back to what we were talking about, about having, like, good guys in a clubhouse. Dude. 
I want you, Darvish, on my team. Great teammate, great guy, can crack a joke. Great social media presence. He is, dude. He's so good on Twitter, man. So good on Twitter. And I'm just rooting for him so hard, and I just hope that the second half of 2019 becomes the norm in 2020. I dig it, man. All right, dude, while I let you go, man, I know um, you got to get out, and we'll do this again quick. I feel like this was fun. Dude, yes, it was a lot of fun. One more thing before I leave, man. Yeah, bring it on. How 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 good what how good did it feel for you to see Larry Walker get in the Hall of Fame? Oh crap! How have we not talked about this? Listen, what was so good about it is I got time, man. Let's talk about this. Let's make it a point to talk about. Okay, it. so the fir- the thing I thoroughly enjoyed about this is about midday yesterday, so maybe about four or five hours before he got the call, he thanked the fans and genuinely believed he wasn't going to get in, right? This was his 10th year. Right. He didn't think the votes were going to be there, and then all of a sudden he gets the call. And what I love about this so much is not only because he had a great career, but I can only imagine how happy he was because it was a true surprise to him. And I don't know what it was about that. Like, not to take away from, like, anyone else that's been elected to the Hall of Fame because it's a huge honor for everyone. But I'm just imagining Larry Walker, who was a hockey goalie until he was 16. When he couldn't make that work, he went to play baseball. They barely played any baseball in Canada. This guy got to his first minor league spring training with the Expos. Bro, he didn't even know what a slider was. He didn't even know it existed. <laughs> he couldn't. They said he was swinging at so many bad pitches. He would swing at pitches that would bounce in front of home plate because he only knew to hit a fastball, dude. So this was a guy that just, I mean, sports were in his blood. That's all he wanted to do. And it's like you have this guy that could only hit a fastball when he first got to spring training. Plays for the Expos. The Expos move. He's all of a sudden a Rocky. People think that he can only hit because he's a Rocky. And he truly does not think he's going to get into the Hall of Fame. And then when you get that call, I'm just like, dude, I bet he was so happy. And I loved it for him, man. I really did. He had a great mullet. He was a phenomenal hitter. His slash line on the road is a little bit better than King Griffey Jr.'s. So it's almost like everyone sees it now. That you look at this guy and it's like he's only good because he was a Rocky. It's not true, and now everyone knows it. Yep. And here's my also take is the whole Hall of Fame thing. And here's my take on it is that I think Major League Baseball should accept players that use steroids back in that era. One, Barry Bond should totally be in the Hall of Fame. He, you know what? He had a 99. Six war yeah. before that steroid. He absolutely he did. The first steroid. Yep. This dude could hit bombs, dude. And I just think, man, it's a shame. But it's a shame that they're not getting the recognition because of something that was adapted by everybody in the league at the time. But also, here's my thing: is that if the sole reason of not voting for certain players is because of cheating, how does Barry Bonds receive over sixty percent of this year's vote? And Sammy Sosa comes in at 13%. Like, that's my question. Is like, how how is there such a gap when both, one, Barry Bonds, if, if your whole thing is that he got suspended for PEDs, Sammy Sosa, like we just said earlier in the podcast, 
it never came out that he did. So oh. it's just like, man, it, it, that's one thing confusing for me. But I just, I just think that Major League Baseball should accept Barry Bonds because my also another take is if you can't tell the history of the game of baseball without mentioning guys like Barry Bonds, yeah. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa for the right reasons. And granted, obviously they should be in the Hall of Fame. Like. It was accepted in that time frame. You're not going to vote players now because of the home run ball. Like, are we not going to vote for people nowadays because the home run ball is different? Like, I just, I don't know, man. Dude, it, no. just, it bugs me, man. A hundred percent. So I love that you knew that Barry Bonds had a 99.6 war after 98. That's huge. And that might be more than what Mike Trout will have through his 10 years in the league, right? Or however many it was. Or I think it was 13 years, actually. And have you ever seen that video of Barry Bonds getting walked with the bases loaded? Yes, I love that video so much, bro. Dude, that was pre-steroid Barry Bonds. That was Barry in 1998. I always thought that was Barry Bonds post-98. That was pre-Barry Bonds 90. That was pre-Barry Bonds steroids in 1998. So before he took anything, he was getting walked with the bases loaded because he was that damn good, okay? So I agree with you 100%. I'll even go as far as to say I don't think Barry Bonds cheated. If Sammy Sosa took steroids, I don't think Sammy Sosa cheated because if it was in the accepted rules of the game, then it's not cheating, right? Professional bodybuilders all take steroids. They're illegal, but it's not cheating. It's an accepted practice. Barry Bonds taking steroids post-1998 was an accepted practice. Everyone in the world knew Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were probably on something. And Barry said, well, this is what everyone's doing. I'm going to do it, right? And obviously, like, if everyone jumps off a building, don't jump off a building. But that's not what this is, right? In athletics, right. dude, I've known high school football players to take steroids. Steroids in sports are basically like marijuana, dude. Like, they're just so common. So it's not crazy or completely immoral to say that steroids were accepted. And if you did them, that you're like some sort of monster, right? Taking steroids because everyone else did is not jumping off a building because everyone else did. It's basically like, oh, you guys are taking Adderall to stay up late to do homework. I want to do some of that. Like, (laughs) that's the level of severity that that is, right? And then when you talk about telling the story of baseball, it goes back to exactly what you said about Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve not having any transparency. Not having dialogue and not having transparency make things worse, right? If you want pro baseball, if you want up-and-coming baseball players to not take steroids, you could, one, sweep everything under a rug and not talk about it, like a family that has a weird uncle that cooks meth in the woods, right? Let's not talk about this. (laughs) Or... You could bring it to light and acknowledge it and recognize it for what it is because when you do that, everyone understands it. Everyone understands the full implication on what it does. Letting Barry Bonds in isn't rewarding a cheater. It's simply telling the story, right? A hundred war after 13 seasons. He was arguably going to be the best baseball player anyway, but he he truly was playing within the accepted practices of the sport. Much different than stealing signs with a camera out in right field and banging the crap out of a trash can. Yep, I totally agree. And I hope to God, if we're going by this rule and standard that people who cheat don't belong in the Hall of Fame, then I better not see Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman down there in 20 or 30 years down the road. But do you know what? Part of 
the Astros sign stealing scandal, it's almost I feel like Pete Rose is going to get a second chance somehow. You think so? Well, I don't know, man, because here's the thing. One, DraftKings sponsors MLB Network all the time, right? So MLB Baseball is now giving gambling an ass in hug. Like, let's rub our bodies together and be friends, right? So gambling, the perception of gambling is definitely starting to change, right? Because like you said, Pete Rose was gambling on his own team. There was nothing shady Never stuff. Never thought about he that. Didn't, he, didn't affect, he did not affect the outcome of one single game. But Astros players did affect the outcome of a game, and they got nothing because they got immunity for telling the truth, right? So I wonder if Rob Manfred and the people around him and maybe even the public – will somehow recharge Pete Rose and look at cheating as a way of just being like, hey, this sort of puts everything into perspective, and maybe Pete Rose deserves another look, you know? And even I, I, I agree. You know what I mean? And even folks are – you mentioned it on this podcast, dude. I would much rather face a steroid guy than a sign-stealing person. And I sort of feel like it all brings it into perspective. Like, Jose Altuve was universally liked two years ago. And now he's, like, public yep. enemy number one on any social media, dude. And I feel like the atrocity of stealing these signs sort of puts the steroid scandal in some sort of different perspective where I don't know if it means those guys are going to get voted in sooner and Pete Rose is going to be back in the league. But I do believe that people are going to think differently about it. And whatever that leads to, I think it's a good thing because it sort of opens up more that goes on in the league. I agree, man. I totally agree 100%. Dude, I'll tell you what, man. I've been so into this conversation. I'm sweating, dude. <laughs> I'm so excited right now, bro. I'm sweating. My voice is raspy. My butt's sweating. Bro, it's good, dude. We're rocking. Yo, we got anything else to talk about, man? Dude. I could, I could talk for five more minutes. Oh, we have to. We have to talk about something. Okay, we got five more let's minutes. Um, Josh, you have to. Oh, let's go on in base. Oh, dude, have you read anything about the um, Nolan Arenado hating the Rockies? Yeah, I did. Dude, that's crazy. I don't know what they did. I just know Nolan Arenado said a couple days ago that there was some sort of like disrespect issue. And he's like, right. I'm not playing for these guys anymore. And I know that they were looking to move him to St. Louis, but I think like Colorado didn't like the package that they were going to get in return because they yeah. wanted more so, like ready guys or something. So here's my thought on this whole thing is that he, he came out blatantly, told MLB.com, hey, look, I feel disrespected and there's more than you guys see in this organization. Here's my thought. Nolan Arenado just signed a huge extension, a huge deal, committing his years to the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. And what I think what was promised was that the Colorado Rockies ownership and front office was going to bring him and center him around a winning team. Well, the two teams that haven't signed a guaranteed player to their major league roster this year, one are the Chicago Cubs. Don't remind me about that. <laughs> the two are Colorado Rockies. What the so heck? it just goes to the show. So, those are two teams, two organizations with superstars on their team. And for the Colorado Rockies' sake, have Nolan Arenado, and they're not bettering their major league roster around him to get better. And I think that's where Nolan Arenado stands right now is that he feels disrespected, that he just committed his long-term commitment to this organization. And rightfully so, we got paid, but 
one, you're not bettering your team around him. You're not doing. You're literally doing nothing this offseason to the major league roster to better the team that missed out last year. So it's like, man, uh, I, I, if I was a player, thankfully I'm not, and I don't have to face the media. I am the media. Uh, I would feel disrespected too. And I totally agree with Nolan Arenado. This is going to get sloppy. I feel like. And it's going to be interesting to see how this pans out. Yeah, you know when you look at teams like the Oakland Athletics and the Tampa Bay Rays, they, they're never making any big splashes, signing like a 10-year, $300 million guy. They play the game so different where they, right. I guess, sort of, they'll get a lot of no-name guys, guys with intangibles, guys with specialties, and they, they're really good, the A's and the Rays are, at building these cohesive teams on like on the cheap they don't spend a lot of money and they're just incredibly smart so I don't understand I like teams like the Cubs and the Red Sox and the Rockies who are like standing pat and doing minimal to nothing like you just said when you look at teams like the Rays and the A's and see what they do with nothing like they're just they spend their money smart they go out and get the values and somehow build it there's no excuse for a team not to do anything. I'm not saying you got to go out and spend $100 million and sign Josh Donaldson. Don't do that. But why don't you just try to put something together? The Cubs and the Rockies don't do jack, but the Rays have been busy all offseason. And I'm just like, do you, like, are you guys trying? Like, I don't know what's happening. Like, those teams do so much with so little. And if you say you have so little, then why the hell aren't you doing anything? Look at the Milwaukee Brewers, man. Look the, at the Milwaukee dude, Brewers. The Brewers, dude, they're like signing like Travis Shaw and Mike Moustakis, like all these one-year contracts, and you scratch your head and you're like, well, hell, that's not going to work. And then they win a damn division, and you're like, well, that worked really good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like, and then and then post-2020 and then post or whatever that season was, 2019, they don't have any future financial commitments. No. Now, obviously, they don't win the World Series. Of course. But – they put their eggs in the basket for that year, and then it doesn't work, and then they reset, and they go figure out how to fulfill those voids in different areas. I mean, I can't believe there's not a team that, like, can do both really well. And I sort of, I guess, always thought that was the Astros until I found out they were banging trash cans. But you would think a team that had the money could afford the intelligence to make those little smart transactions but also spend the big bucks where they needed to. And I... I wish I knew like what the Rays and the A's did so well, but that I think those are two of the most impressive teams in Major League Baseball. Actually, I'll put the Brewers in there too. If you look like the Brewers, the Rays, the Athletics, like I think those are three of the smartest teams in baseball because they do so much with so little. Like the the Milwaukee Brewers won the division in 2018 with not really a good Cardinals team, but with a loaded Cubs team. And I'm like, dude, that's impressive, man. Like, no wonder why yeah. David Stearns is, like, this great front office executive guy. Like, I'm just so impressed by these little teams. Always, like, some of my favorite teams to watch when the Cubs aren't playing are the Athletics and the Rays. I'll, I'll die before I watch the Brewers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, like, the Rays yeah. and the Athletics, I'm like, dude, this is just great ball, man. And, yeah, I'm like you, man. Right. I agree with Arenado, dude. Like, I'm here to win. And if you guys are just going to get super greedy and capitalistic on me and, like, you're insuring your profits, then how are we going to build anything, dude? Like, we're not. Yep, I agree. You just keep being the same Rockies yeah. team, dude. Whatever. I don't know. Yep. So I got a question for you. Yeah. Going, we're almost, like, to 2020. 
quickly, like, who are some players that you're excited to watch this year? They can be prospects. They can be long-tenured okay. guys. Like, okay. who's a few guys that you're excited to Check this for? out. So, Brent, I'm super fascinated with two-way players, right? So, Shohei yep. Otani, his comeback, this year in 2020, we should see a fully healthy pitching and hitting Shohei Otani, right? And I love my favorite thing in athletics is when human beings push themselves to levels that other people don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you look yep. at Shohei Otani and it's like, dude, you got a guy that can throw 101 and then can hit like 450-foot home runs. So Shohei Otani, number one, because I cannot wait to see what he does on both ends of the ball. And also the Tampa Bay Rays have a guy named Brendan McKay. He was drafted out of Louisville, I think, in 2017 maybe. And he's a two-way guy as well. And last year, Tampa Bay brought him in to pitch. But – his hitting hasn't really come around yet at the pro level. So, like, in AAA, he didn't hit that good. So, when he got to the majors, Tampa Bay never really played him at DH. So, definitely Brendan yep. McKay and Shohei Otani because I like those two-way guys. And then, man, I don't – I think that's sort of all I have. I can't really think of anything else off the top of my head. I know I'm probably missing somebody. But I would say for right. sure those two guys because they're just – they're doing things that nobody, especially Otani, man, just doing things that nobody else really does. I'm sort of kind of pumped, though, to see what the, as a team, to see what the Los Angeles Angels do because they're sort of, yeah. like, starting to put pieces around Mike Trout and they've got Joe Madden. And so when, like, obviously, like, I love Joe Madden as a person. I love him as a coach. And I'm so curious who I Joe Madden, who I think is the best manager in all of baseball, who's going to get the chance to manage like Shohei Otani. He's got Anthony Rendon. He's got Mike Trout. And it seems like the Angels are willing to spend money. So I would say outside yep. of those two players from a team perspective, I'm super interested to see what the Angels do and sort of like test – you know, you, you, you'll you really get to see the intangibles that Joe Madden brings to the table. He did it in Tampa Bay. He did it in Chicago, but in Chicago, he had a pretty good foundation to deal with. But in Tampa, he didn't really so much. And in the Angels, you know, he's sort of taken a, you know, taken a hold of a team that's 20 games under 500, maybe, which is probably what the Cubs were in 2015, right. I bet. So I don't know, man. So yep. I, I would say those guys for sure. Um, right. It's exciting, man. You, you know who I got? You know, you know who I got on my list? Oh, sure, and then we yeah. can wrap this up. I got number one, Gavin Lux from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Okay, so I've heard about that this guy, dude. Be, dude, that dude's going to be a stud for years to come. Like a dude who can play the middle infield, who can slug, a dude who's likable, young, protected. Like this dude is the real deal. Uh, and another player that I'm looking out for, Pete Alonzo. I love Pete Alonzo. That's my dude, man. I love Pete. Dude, he is. Uh, <laughs> Dude can rake. I'm super excited to see how he follows up his rookie of the year campaign and see if that power wasn't a fluke. And obviously he's probably like a 30, 35 home run guy consistently, but see if he can top that rookie of the year kind of season. And then the third is you hear of this uh, kid in Toronto, Bo Bichette. Oh, yeah, dude. He's got great hair, oh. man. He looks like Fabio. Oh, my God, man. Oh. I love watching that dude play. I can't wait for him, man. He's he's exciting, and I think like 
him and Vladdy and Biggio on the same team, man, those Toronto, even though they lost Strowman, they're going to be nice, man. Dude, Dante, I mean, uh, Bo Bichette, man. I remember watching Dante Bichette, dude. I, dude. <laughs> I would play yeah. RBI baseball, and that would have to be the Rockies. Like, give me him. But you said, oh, you mentioned Pete Alonso. Listen to this, dude, and then I'll let you go. I remember his home run derby performance was last year, dude. And it's just a home run yeah. derby, right? But, dude, it was awesome to see his competitiveness, and he just let it out, dude. In and in a, in a sport where a lot of folks are, like, afraid to hide that emotion, I mean, they're afraid to show the emotion, right? So they'll hide it. Dude, he was hyping himself up in the back. Like, he was taking it dead-ass serious, and you could see it. And I loved, like, I mean, I feel like there's a certain amount of vulnerability when you show, like, your competitive side in baseball because then someone might throw right. a fastball at your hip. But, dude, I love Pete Alonso. Like, as soon as I saw that, I was like, dude, this is a guy I'll watch, man. Like, this Husky love boy that, hitting dude. 53 home runs, bro, send him out of the park, man. Right. That, that was a dude – so I short long story short, cover the Northwoods League. He was the MVP in that 2014 season. Oh, Pete Alonso was in the 2004. He played. Yep, he played in the Northwoods League. He was the 2014 MVP. He was he participated. So get this, he participated in the home run derby in 2014. You know who he went up against? Who? Jose Consenco. He what? came out for the home run derby, and both of them went at it. Obviously, he lost. But he ends up winning the uh, All-Star MVP that year in 2014 in the Northwoods League. The dude hit, like, I think, like, 25 bombs in 77 games. Like, the dude was raking. And ever since then, and I heard about him then, like, he was in Madison, Wisconsin, in my neck of the woods, just playing for a summer. And, uh, yeah, dude. So, ever since then, I've always been a Pete Alonzo fan and seen him – no, it was so. I talked to his uh, coach in the Northwoods League for the Madison Mallards. He's like, dude, there's two guys that I've coached, and I had to literally flinch every time they were up at bat when I coached third base. First one because Donnie Scott, the head coach for the Madison Mallards, was also in the Reds organization. He's like, dude, I saw Joey Votto play. I had to crouch okay. and flinch every time he was up at bat. <laughs> and the second one's Pete Alonzo. Pete man. Alonzo, the He's big like, polar bear. When Pete when Pete came out of Florida and he came over and we got the call he was coming over, I knew this kid was gonna be special. So, yeah, uh, man, huge here. Pete Alonzo fan. Dude, that's what's up, man. Yes, sir. All right, man. Well, I guess, yeah, this uh, is fun. dude, this is this it, man. Fun. I'll wrap this up. I'll get this thing loaded up, dude. Dude, thanks for hanging out with me, man. Bro, this was this was so much fun. Dude, we got we to do this more. Obviously, you're gonna become a dad, but man, this was fun. Long time away. Absolutely, man. All right, brother. Well, um, shoot, hey, I'll catch dude, you next good luck time, on man. that, by the way. Dude, thanks, man. Good I, luck I got to you like and your wife. about like 48 hours till I'm about to be a dad, man. So I'm gonna go Google how to raise a baby, <laughs> and I'm gonna figure this thing out. <laughs> All right, man. All right, guys. I appreciate thanks you. for listening to the show. Greatest All show right. on dirt. Until next time, we'll catch you then. Later, man. <laughs> See you, man.